Ready? Yep. I'm Gordon Burkell. Hey, y'all. This is Lauren. And it's Hi. kind of echoing here because we're in a hotel room. We are. Uh, this is going to be a very quick podcast, Lauren. Yep. We're just going to remind people about our pub night tonight over at the Fox and Hounds. Don't forget. Fo- Thefoxandhounds.com. Yeah, and they're very the nice. I went, I stopped by yesterday. Yeah. And say hello to everyone I met at EditFest and huh. the people I couldn't find at EditFest. Are you asking me to say hello to them or you're just saying you're going to help? Them? I was just saying hello. Okay, me too. And I, I apologize to Edith. Apparently I look nothing like what I was supposed to. Oh, I, I had that problem with you too. Yeah, pretty ugly. What were you supposed to look like? Handsome, I think. No, what, what, what did she say? Dashingly. No, she's just like, you look nothing like... Oh, he's got red hair. Well, like, no, maybe maybe it's because you keep telling people that you have red hair, but you it's not as red oh. anymore. That's, that could be it. He gets you really upset when you, you say that. You can't see me, but I'm giving her a very dirty look. It's so dirty. <laughs> so, what I thought we would do quickly, it's Sunday morning. It was a late la- night last night. And so I thought, let's get up extra early and do a podcast. And it's not early anymore. So, show up tonight for the pod, for the pub night. If you missed Edifest, we're just going to give you a, a small sample. So here is, just get his name. So we're going to give you a small sample. Here's Martin Nicholson, ACE, and I talked to Martin afterwards. He focused on when he was talking about traditional acting schools and how he used this knowledge to apply to editing. So, and I thought it was really fascinating. So we're going to do an interview with him in a few weeks, but I thought I'd put the clip of, up of him talking about uh, his uh, acting application for editing. Great. Or editing application for acting. Anyways, listen to this, get yourself ready, get pumped up, and then come to the pub night. Marty, All right. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, everything that's been said, I completely agree with. Um, um, so I won't, go, I won't backtrack over any of that, and, and I think that's really kind of the larger arc and heart and soul of it. I think as you kind of move into storytelling, it becomes um, what your sort of incisive sensibility is towards the material that's there. I mean, that's your feelings about the script and, and what you feel you're going to bring to it, that somehow you feel how you're going to get a hold of something. Um, I remember when I read the script for the big picture, Christopher Kess's first movie, that I knew immediately how I was gonna, how I could help that movie, what I could do, what I could contribute. It just, it just spoke to me right away, and I didn't know Chris Guest at that point, but I knew from watching his comedy and and watching his work in other pictures, um, so after Spinal Tap, what his sensibility was. And so, but when I read that script, I could just see it. I could just feel it, and and I always felt every day that. I would never get off the tone of what I thought it needed to be, what it was supposed to be. Um, and that's something that, you know, is a personal thing that you, you kind of bring to a project and bring to the storytelling. And that has to do with, um, you know, what your sense of that material is and how you feel you can relate to it and work with it. Um, I just did um, Game of Thrones. I did three episodes of that in Ireland for HBO, and I felt... Um, very similarly motivated by the material, and that I knew that I was going to connect with it immediately, um, uh, and and it just kind of leaped out. There's other times that you go to work, you work on other shows, and um, 
and people might even very much want you to be there, and you don't feel that connection, so then you have to find that, that, that sort of passion for it and that connection into the story um, and how to bring that about. Um, but as one moves into the story, um, for me, it all becomes about subtext. And shot selection and rhythm and all have to do with what the subtextual level of the story is. And not simply just articulating the script as written and the dialogue as written, but subtextually everybody here does that. I mean, that, that's what we live to do. And I think that's where richness starts to come in because it, it influences how you use editorial dynamics, it influences how you use restraint, it influences how you use music, and, um, and uh, you can just feel how it's uh, how when you're hitting the subtextual level of the movie in a true sense and bringing it forward, or TV show, pilot, whatever, that you've got the audience. And it's one of those things I, I ne that never fails me. I mean, uh, it always, when I feel that and it's right, it always, it's always true. And I just know the audience. I don't have to be looking at them. I can feel them behind me in an editing room watching if the group of producers or whatever. So um, that's just one thing to, uh, and, uh, was Sam was, was talking about shot selection and that I was you can't help but think about in other things you're doing yourself shot selection and and um, and why um, and how come <laughs> and I mean we live for that we do that all day long and everything we've talked about influences every bit of that um, um, where to begin about that I, you know sometimes shot selection is really that is a big deal. What is the first shot? Sometimes it's very clear what the first shot I've seen is a director uh, has made it clear. I've I just been doing something with Philip Noyce, and um, we have this big scene of polo, and it's very complicated. And polo is not really tremendously interesting unless it gets certain kinds of coverage and things. And then you have that whole idea of actors who, um, and this is a sort of more rudimentary idea of shot selection. Um, we were talking about subtext before, so I'm going to go to the, the other side, the text. And, and uh, how do I sell this double? How do I sell this guy who's really important to be sold, who can't ride a horse, okay? He can't ride a horse. I mean, at the production meeting two days before, they were telling me he can canter. Well, that got the dailies, and he's sitting on this, like, little wagon, you know, and, uh, and strapped into this little wagon, and all these big polo guys were on horses running around. I shouldn't be really talking about this. <laughs> I mean, the point is, is that, you know, this is just a, a normal kind of problem. Like, you know, I mean, he's, I've got to make him, I have to cut to him. I need his face. I need his emotional strength. I need to identify him. I need to make you feel he's absolutely in the story. And, uh, and the other polo footage was, was interesting. It had some issues, but it was very interesting and it was stronger. But it occurred to me that what I absolutely had to do um, was open this episode with this close-up close of his face. But first there would be the sound of horses' hoofs gathering, you know, running, you don't know where you were, in the Old West or whatever, and then you just pop hard on his face in a tight close-up and he's moving along. And I can make that even have more jiggle to make it, I can make that have more jiggle to make it have more uh, um, uh, feeling of him being there. Anyway, the point is, is that immediately that takes the sting off of having to cut to him any other time. Because right away he's there, 
we've, we've, we're now tied him in, and we're used to seeing that. It isn't that I've got to cut off of something to it and balance it in. I'm starting with it. And it's just really dynamic to start that way, and also just coming out of black on these horses' hoofs and then bang, popping to him on this... Uh, you know, wagon. You're not going to see the wagon. <laughs> As my assistant editor said when he saw him on the wagon, God, that poor actor, the things they have to go through. I mean, yeah, I feel so embarrassed for him. I mean, because you got all these big bruises, riding horses. So sometimes what, attacking what might be a problem right away help, helps then, in, in for this the rest case, of the scene, you can cut to it and everyone's In this case, because you're, you're making everyone comfortable with it. I mean, Stan was talking about it from a you know, a slightly different perspective, but why he cut to that light, and it immediately popped into my head why I cut to this guy uh, on on that horse. And then, you know, the a, a big thing is underway. I mean, and uh, you know how you start scenes is incredibly, incredibly important. And um, um, Stan and I both had an acting teacher at NYU named Marquetta Kimbrell. She she passed away very, very recently, and she was a very dear and inspiring person to a generation of filmmakers who went to NYU Film School, where we both went. He graduated, he undergraduate. But, um, uh, I mean, I kind of lived and died by the principles this acting teacher taught me, and everything I kind of feel like I do in editing um, are, are very much informed by what she taught me. And um, I, I say this oftentimes in my editing class at, at AFI where we all teach that, um, and assistants have heard me say this, it's just everything comes down to these five basic questions and how you construct a scene around shot selection, regardless of whether it's first or second or third, really has to do with these five questions. What is the place? Uh, where have I come from? These are, these are phrased as if you were an actor, you know, but any... You have to be able to answer them for, the, for as an editor or as a director or a writer. What is the place? Where have I come from? Long range and short term. What, why am I here? What do I want? And what are the goals and needs of the scene? You can't cut a scene without answering those five questions. You just can't. They have to be answered within the structure of the scene. 